This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Splunk, helping organizations turn data into doing so they can accelerate cloud-driven transformation. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Cloud technology is shaping the way we live, the way we work, and the way industries innovate. In this episode, business executives and experts join Washington Post Live to examine the accelerated adoption of cloud computing, which is expected to expand by over a third in 2021 alone. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Joseph Marks, a reporter at uh, The Washington Post covering cybersecurity, and I'm an author of the Cybersecurity 202 newsletter. Uh, Welcome to Post Live. We're here today to talk about evolving cloud technology, both how it's changing how we live and how we work and what we're doing to secure it. My first guest today is uh, Steve Van Kuyken. He is a uh, senior partner at McKinsey & Company and global leader of McKinsey Technology. Uh, Welcome to Washington Post Live, Steve. Joseph, thank you. It's great to be here. Great to have you. So uh, the big question of the last 18 months is uh, how has cloud changed how this pandemic has functioned? How, how, how has the pandemic changed us and how has cloud enabled that? So it, it's, a, it's a great question because we've seen a huge uptake in cloud. And I'll talk a little bit about the, the numbers, but you know, the pandemic has changed how we work. It's changed how we interact, changed how we learn. Um, it's, it's changed so much of our lives. And the cloud is uh, allowing companies to adapt to that change more quickly. In a uh, recent survey we did of global executives, uh, the increase in digital interactions that companies had with uh, their customers uh, increased dramatically. It went from 40 to 65% of their interactions uh, on average were digital. Most companies were getting close to 80% of their interactions were digital. Companies started to invest much more heavily in technology uh, as part of the, uh, you know, underneath with the pandemic, in the face of the pandemic. Uh, We saw in it, most companies reporting that they are seven years ahead of where they thought they would be uh, prior to the pandemic. And finally, the big number, many companies reported or on average reported that they were moving, believe it or not, 24 times faster to the cloud than they thought. This was all driven by the need to change rapidly in the face of uh, the pandemic, how we uh, interact with our customers, how we interact with suppliers, and frankly, how we interact internally in our companies. Uh, the cloud enabled a lot of that, and it uh, went from being something that companies were doing, but at a slow pace, to something they're now doing very rapidly. Just to help people understand this, uh, a counterfactual, if this pandemic had happened 10 or 15 years ago before this real move to you know, large-scale cloud computing, cloud computing. What, would work, what would work in life have looked like under those circumstances compared to what actually happened? I think it would have been a lot more challenging. Um, I think, for instance, we would not, uh, you know, we would not be communicating um, in the virtual world the way we are. The virtual meetings would not be at the pace and scale that they are. Many of us would be uh, dealing with the dangers of the pandemic by uh, many more of us would be, you know, meeting in person. We would be going about our normal lives, I I think. Uh, We would not be, you know, buying online like we are. and then companies would not be able to respond with the speed and effectiveness they did. You take a company like UPS who optimizes 20 million deliveries a day in the cloud, 
they would not have been able to do that. They would not have been able to deal with the increase, the, the dramatic increase in uh, demand that, that we saw during the pandemic. So you'd have seen breakdowns in the supply chain. Uh, and obviously we're having supply chain challenges uh, today given the pandemic, but they would be far greater. Uh, so I think it's the, the cloud is kind of this invisible capability in the background that's actually allowed us to deal with the pandemic in a way that I think you're right. The, the, the thought experiment going back 15 years uh, it's almost hard to imagine how we would have gotten through it uh, the way we have. And, and frankly, while it's been challenging for everybody, uh, in some ways, uh, businesses have been remarkably resilient in terms of how they dealt have dealt with the pandemic. And I think a lot of it, not a lot of it, but some of it and much of it is, uh, you know, due to the enablement that the clouds provided them. Yeah, so I mean, in other words, just, even though our lives have been obviously upended the last 18 months, the effect on um, daily life and on the economy just would have been hugely higher, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's hard to imagine. I mean, think, you know, Zoom, uh, when, when the pandemic hit, Zoom was adding thousands of users uh, a night uh, to uh, their network uh, and, and allowing uh, video conferencing. I, I, they would not have been able to do that 10, 15 years ago. Just they wouldn't. Um, uh, you, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's literally hard to imagine. Easy Pay in India, I think they're, they're going from 300,000 users to 1.5 million. I mean, it, I could go on and on, but the numbers in terms of how companies have been able to scale their operations in the face of the pandemic, uh, it's it's uh, it's really remarkable. And yes, I I, I don't want to. I would hate to imagine what it would be like without the cloud. What are things going to look like when we return to the office and when? Um, your life returns to some greater semblance of normal. Will this pace continue as it has in cloud adoption? Will it slow down? What do you think? I think it's going to continue to accelerate. I, I, I think everyone prior to the um, pandemic, you know, companies were moving, but they weren't moving at the same pace. I don't think there's any going back now. Um, the the cloud does a number of things for a company. One is it makes it, it dramatically increases the speed of change. You can experiment in the cloud uh, at a much faster pace and at a much lower cost than you could in a traditional environment or your own kind of data center environment. Um, you can scale much more rapidly. So if you have a good idea, you can scale it far more rapidly than you can in a traditional environment. Um, and your costs will go down. I, I think when we go back after the pandemic, the cloud will become even more important because I think a lot of us will be living in a hybrid work world where some people will be home, some will be at the office. In some ways, the challenges of that are will be even greater than the pure virtual world. And how do you make that a uh, uh, an effective experience for your employees? Um, I think also, um, you know, the demands on the supply chain are can continue, and consumers, I many things that we've started to do. Uh, or accelerate under the pandemic, I don't think we'll slow down. Uh, online ordering, um, the way we consume content, those things are gonna continue to accelerate. And I think the demands on companies to keep adopting the cloud will, will only grow. Where are we right now in the big story of cloud adoption? Are we at the beginning? Are we at the middle? Uh, how far have we gotten? We're at the early stages. Um, so, so if you think of it, I mean, the cloud's been around for some time now, but it was uh, originally adapted more by small companies and startups because the great advantage of the cloud was you didn't, if you wanted to start a tech company, you didn't have to buy 
uh, servers and uh, rent space in a data center, you just get out your credit card and buy computing power in the cloud. Enterprises then started to adapt, adopt the cloud, uh, but again, at a slow pace. We're now getting to, you know, I, I think 15% of enterprise workloads might be in the cloud now. So we're, we're at a very early stages. Our own research uh, suggests that in the Fortune 500, we believe there's one trillion in value that can be unlocked by adopting the cloud between now and 2030. That comes in many forms. Some of it is in uh, just improvements in operations. So the cloud will improve companies' risk and resilience. Uh, they're better able to deal with cybersecurity. They're better able to keep their operations up and running. It also allows them to digitize their core processes and drive down costs in a way that they couldn't before. But then also the bigger value in the cloud will be in the innovation that I, I keep talking about. I think companies will be able to innovate faster. They'll be able to adopt new technologies at a much faster pace. So if you look ahead, you know, technologies like edge computing and the, the marriage of 5G in the cloud will unleash all kinds of innovation that is almost hard to imagine right now. Um, just to pause on that for an example, if you think of when 4G was adopted, uh, it allowed companies like Airbnb and Uber and, uh, you know, the social, the, the global social uh, 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 mobile uh, social media to, to proliferate. I think now that 5G is coming, you marry that with the cloud, there'll be all kinds of new business models that will emerge from that that are hard to imagine today, but those are, I, I would argue, imminent over the next 10 years. Um, the list goes on, but uh, blockchain, quantum computing, all of these things will be tied and accelerated by the cloud. Um, you said it's hard to imagine. Can you give us just a taste of that, something that'll blow our minds Do you think is going to be possible in, in five, 10 years based on increased cloud adoption that we just, it would be tough to imagine now? To imagine now. Um, well, yeah, I, if, I, if I had the right idea, I would just, uh, I'd be working on it right now. But uh, maybe a couple of real life examples that could be interesting. One is uh, Moderna. Um, when, uh, you know, prior to the pandemic, uh, the Moderna had built what they called the software for life, which is, uh, it's a drug design studio that was, this was all built in the cloud. It allows them to analyze and design mRNA sequences for uh, protein targets. Um, it also allows them to share data amongst experiments and uh, engineers and scientists effectively, and it also improves their security and compliance. Now, once the uh, pandemic had hit, it took them only 42 days to get uh, um, their drug or their vaccine ready for uh, phase one trials and to submit to the NIH. It's pretty remarkable progress, and I think the uh, Moderna would say they couldn't do that without the cloud. Another interesting example, um, Emirates uh, and the New Zealand team won the America's Cup this year. They have used a terrific mix of cloud-based uh, artificial intelligence technologies along with their you know, uh, world-class sailors to win the America's Cup. So what they did is in the very early stages of preparing for the America's Cup, they built a reinforcement learning algorithm on uh, AWS's uh, cloud. And within three weeks, the algorithm could beat the uh, best sailors in the world in the uh, simulator. Now, in the end, the, uh, you know, the, the algorithm is not going to race the boat itself, but that combination of kind of human intelligence and artificial intelligence is what allowed them to uh, compete so effectively. And now you'll see, I, I mean, I, you know, America's Cup is just one sport. You're going to see this across all sports where uh, technology and, and human um, excellence will come together to, uh, you know, 
compete in a way and allow teams and, and sports to compete in a way that they never, you, you could never imagine in the past. Those are just two examples. I think we're gonna see more of that. We're gonna see innovation happening at a, just a much faster pace. Manufacturing will become much more automated. Uh, you know, again, 5G and technology together, cars will, you know, we'll, we will have self-driving cars. They will be maintained proactively. Uh, the costs will go down dramatically. They'll be much safer. Uh, those things are coming. It's just a matter of time. What's holding up cloud adoption so far? It says roughly 15%. I forget which the metric was. Yeah. Why isn't it higher? What's holding things up? It's uh, so one is, I mean, it's, you know, companies are got a lot of money and, you know, knowledge invested in their data centers and their, you know, traditional environments. Moving all of that to the cloud is actually not an easy undertaking. It takes a lot of investment, takes expertise. Uh, it takes some, you know, you know, there's a lot of thought that needs to go into moving it over, how you move it over and how you prepare your environment for the cloud. Um, and I think that's, a, you know, there's, there's also, frankly, some re regulatory hurdles and, and, you know, data security issues that you have to deal with on that transition to the cloud. And if you think of, you know, most of our environment, like I said, if only 15% of workloads are in the cloud, 85% still operating in this old world, and we've got to move the old world into the new world. Um, that's going to take effort. Uh, that takes talent. That takes planning. Uh, so companies are, you know, they're moving and they're moving faster and they're, they're investing more money in it now. They're taking it more seriously, but there's still a lot of work to be done. You talked a little bit about Moderna as, as an example of what has been done with cloud technology. Uh, what specifically do you see changing in healthcare with greater cloud adoption? Well, I think there's all kinds of changes that are going to happen in healthcare, which, which you know, needs a revolution around technology. Because um, today, you know, we, we access uh, healthcare in a fairly analog way. You, most people call their doctor, they go see the doctor, uh, you get paper res results. Um, you know, in a new world uh, that, that's enabled by cloud, our, our patient data will live with us. Uh, we'll be able to access it easily. Our healthcare providers will be able to access it. I think we'll also, you know, during the pandemic, you saw an explosion in the use of uh, online virtual care. Uh, that's not going to stop because in, in some cases it's more effective. It's certainly far more cheaper and faster. Um, I also think, you know, pharmaceutical companies and medical product companies are going to be using technology to, you know, both speed up the development of their drugs like Moderna did, but also improve the effectiveness of the, their drugs. Uh, or therapies, everywhere from digital therapeutics where digital interactions or behavioral changes uh, driven through technology are tied to the therapy itself, to things like uh, robotic surgery where, you know, robots are performing surgery in, a, in, in many ways uh, a more effective way and certainly probably lower cost. So I think you're going to see changes across healthcare that are going to be driven by this uh, uh, by technology, and these are just some of the examples. More will come, but the cloud will be the key, one of the key drivers that will allow companies uh, to make those kinds of changes. And again, you see the big pharmaceutical companies, the big payers, as well as the tech world, all focused on this problem. Uh, so, with the the amount of money and resources and talent that's being focused on it, I think healthcare is one example of an industry that will look very different ten years from now than it does today. 
You've mentioned 5G a few times. Um, explain to us how 5G and cloud work together. What's, what's the connection there? Yeah, well, so if you think of 5G just dramatically expanding uh, access and broadband uh, and bandwidth, sorry, at, at the, and, and, you know, if you recall it at, at the edge of the network. So, for instance, 5G will allow you to um, automate and enable, uh, you know, more technology at the point of use. So that could be in your car, it could be in the manufacturing plant, it could be around your farm equipment or your mining equipment, which all becomes automated. Uh, those, you know, your car will build its own intelligence. I mean, Tesla and now uh, the, the major automakers are all putting, you know, intelligence into their cars in a way we couldn't have imagined. Um, you know, you see mining operations, uh, you know, building automated uh, vehicles that are, you know, operating in the mine. So these are all examples of kind of edge computing and these will all become even more 5G enabled. So the, the ability of that technology to operate at the edge is going to grow with 5G dramatically. Now with the cloud, you can connect those devices to the cloud, you can share the data, you can enable it. These, these uh, you know, kind of smart devices can learn through interaction with the cloud, they can also share their learnings across devices. So cars are, you know, this is happening already. Cars are learning from each other. Uh, machines will learn from each other. And that's going to, you know, that, that, that combination of 5G and cloud, I think in terms of the kind of innovation we'll see will be quite explosive. The, uh, the market for cloud providers is relatively small at this point. A lot of it is, is Amazon and Microsoft. How does that affect the broader market and the ability to move to cloud? And do you see that changing anytime as uh, more and more computing moves into the cloud? Yeah, so so it is. A, it's it's a three three big companies right now. Amazon is obviously the biggest. Microsoft and uh, Google is uh, you know aggressively growing in the cloud. IBM and others are very focused on it. Uh, I think you're going to see lots of increasing competition in the cloud. Um, it's not a, you know, because of the, the resources required to build uh, these large, um, you know, uh, computing, uh, the computing infrastructure that these players have, um, I, I think it will, my guess is it will probably remain a concentrated market. Um, the advantages of that is they're investing, you know, many millions of dollars into new services that they're putting in the cloud. So whether any one of the, the big uh, cloud providers, you can access, uh, you know, very sophisticated uh, AI and ML algorithms that, you know, most companies would not be able to build on their own uh, in the clouds. So you're going to see continued innovation. And I think the hope is that the market stays competitive enough that uh, that innovation continues to take place. And I think the big race for all of them now is the enterprise market. Like I said, that's, that's, that's speeding up. That's becoming the, the battleground for these big players. Uh, and I think you're going to see a lot of competition in the enterprise market. So I think buyers in the enterprise market will want to be aware of that and think about how they use that leverage and that competition, uh, you know, to to make sure they're getting the best from the cloud providers. Uh, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, thanks for being with us. And I'll be back in a moment with the woman who protects data security at Verizon. Joseph, thank you. Really appreciate it. The following segment was produced and paid for by a Washington Post Live event sponsor. The Washington Post newsroom was not involved in the production of this content.
The pandemic accelerated migration to the cloud as companies realized it could be a lifeline, streamlining operations and reducing costs. But it also presented some challenges, particularly as relates to data management and systems complexity. I'm Jean Meserve, and joining me is Sendar Selakumar. He is Chief Cloud Officer for Splunk. Great to have you with us. I want to ask you, you were previously Chief Product Officer, now Chief Cloud Officer. What have you learned about this intersection between data and the cloud? Well, Gene, thank you so much for having me. You know, we've been moving customers to the cloud uh, for years now, in fact, thousands of customers. And it was, and I would say our, what we've learned about the cloud strategy is it really can't succeed without a deep data foundation. And let me explain what I mean by that. Well, we see organizations accelerating their digital transformations and in doing so, generating a lot more data from manual processes now becoming all digital. Uh, we're seeing them increase the velocity of what they do. And then what I mean by velocity, I mean specifically changes in the business and so forth. And that has presented a new set of challenges, IT's challenges, security and application challenges. We know the data though, is that common foundation um, and is key to meeting these challenges and driving sort of the next phases of organizational growth. In fact, one of our customers, the US Census Bureau, uh, leveraged Splunk and used them across on-premises, hybrid, and in a cloud-centric model. And in doing so, they were actually able to reduce the number of households. They actually reached out to Canvas by 65%. That's data really driving uh, action as part of their cloud journey. So some organizations are facing challenges as they adopt cloud. What are you hearing from customers? You know, moving to the cloud is so vital for organizations these days. Why? Because it gives them technical velocity. A technical velocity translates into business velocity. And that business velocity means now they're able to deliver business outcomes. But a lot of that technology transition is not a simple lift and shift of on-premises data centers to the cloud. You have to, yes, do that, but you also have to adapt to the cloud native technologies that are available. Now these cloud native technologies typically take time to, to adopt, whether it's consuming things like Kubernetes capabilities, serverless capabilities, et cetera. And so what we recommend at Splunk is really to overcome the challenges. You have to have a deep data foundation across all of your systems. What does that term mean, data foundation? Great question. So it's about really central visibility across your environment, whether on-premises, hybrid, or in the cloud, and you take action from that. So with that data foundation, you can do the things like what the Census Bureau had as an outcome. You can also have visibility into your full technical environments, have visibility into your customer journeys, your business flows to secure them, make them easier uh, to manage and run, make it easier for your customers to get value from the environment. And when you have a foundation, you can deal with unpredictable outcomes. With that data, when you have a massive surge in traffic or a massive surge in e-commerce because of hey, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, you can deal with those, those challenges in a predictable manner because you now have the data to do so. For leaders who may be listening, who are on this journey to the cloud, uh, what words of advice do you have? Oh, wow, we've had lots of scar tissue and learned, learned quite a bit from, from customers and from our own work. First and foremost is, is what I mentioned earlier, is that deep data foundation. Too often people just think moving their servers to the cloud is enough. No, you've got to think about the data that underlies all this, not only for security and IT and application development reasons, but also to deliver the business outcomes. So think about your data strategy as, and that data foundation as a key element to driving your cloud strategy. The second thing I would say is that it's a journey. 
too often people say, well, I want to be cloud first, and they move overnight to sort of jumping into the cloud, signing up a large transaction to the cloud provider, and sort of throwing the servers into the cloud. And while that's a step, it is not the end of the journey. You have to think about transitioning your technical architecture across the environments and technical capabilities that I mentioned earlier. That's what enables you the success of cloud, is that technical velocity, which then enables business velocity, which then drives the business outcomes that we talked about earlier. Sandro Salakumar, Chief Cloud Officer for Splunk. Thanks a lot for joining us. And Thank now you, back to the Washington Post. And now back to Washington Post Live. Welcome back. Once again, I'm Joseph Marks, a cybersecurity reporter at the Washington Post and author of the Cybersecurity 202 Daily Newsletter here. And uh, we're examining cloud technology and the changes that it's bringing to life and work. And I'm joined now by uh, Nazreen Rezai, Senior Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer for Verizon. Uh, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you, Joseph. Pleasure meeting you. Uh, nice meeting you too. So tell me, how has the pandemic, 18 months of it now, changed work and changed the hacking threats that companies are facing? Good question. We annually produce just a report we call data breach um, a report. And in our 2021 report, we saw three primary threats um, pattern, we call uh, ransomware, um, social engineering, and phishing attack continuously um, in that. In, in, from a threat pattern perspective. We also saw that with uh, digital acceleration as part of the um, pandemic, and as many companies really pushed hard to digitally transform themselves and, and move to cloud or adopt more and more SaaS applications. And many of these infrastructure components that were part of an attack were cloud assets or SaaS types of assets. Yeah, that jumps to a larger question, which is, is the cloud better for data security and, and cybersecurity more broadly or not? Because I remember uh, roughly a, yeah, seven, eight years ago when this transition began, there was a lot of concern about that. And then the common wisdom became that no, no, cloud is more secure because all of your security is in one place. And, and, and now that seems a little bit, uh, to be questioned again. Explain that to us. So cloud in itself, not necessarily more secure or less secure. And we have to just kind of spell that because what, what we get with cloud is element of innovation, infrastructure as a service and level of scalability that most enterprises will take a long time to implement. So what you do get with cloud, let's take AWS or Azure, for example, the infrastructure component that AWS offers to you has in it embedded security. So that's plus, right? But that in itself is not an assumption of security because you have to ensure that the application that you're moving to cloud follows principles of security you need to know what type of data you're moving to the cloud. Do you have all aspects of the data protection embedded around what you're moving? And ultimately, what's the connection between your on-prem to the cloud presence 
And is that network connection uh, secure? So you really, uh, when you think about all of that, security of cloud, just cloud by itself is not secure alone. You have to have a program that has all of those aspects um, in mind. And, and Joseph, going back to the, to the incident um, and breaches that uh, we see in our DBIR report, many times threat actors come through, um, whether it's cloud or on-prem, through either um, a phishing scenario, a vulnerability in an application, or basically um, taking over the um, cloud credential of an individual that's on cloud, right? So in all of those scenarios, you have to have strong identity and access management. You have to have strong and good cyber hygiene uh, around the application that you move to the cloud. And, and, and you have to ensure that the data that you move to cloud is also protected. So if you have highly confidential, highly regulated data that you move to cloud, do you have all the proper controls around it so that it's not, for example, visible um, outside the areas of cloud that you want it to be visible? So is there a sense in which uh, companies are taking all of their bad cybersecurity practices that they had in on-premises data centers, and they've just moved it to cloud, and we are as insecure as we ever were? I think if you just shift, lift and shift, as many companies may have done, yeah, you just lift and shifted your problem over to the cloud. There's still an added benefit that the infrastructure controls that the cloud offers, you get some protection. But if you think about uh, what the cloud offers is that internet-based uh, protection um, and that interaction, well, you have your application that's insecure, that's your, your data that's not secure, that, that network that's not secure. So holistically, being in cloud is good because it still offers um, scalability is offers the, the level of resili resiliency and innovation that cloud uh, providers um, offer to their consumers and the goodness of it that they continuously offer services that companies can tap into, but I, it would be shortchanging them themselves and their own companies to think that's enough. How has the shift to remote work during the pandemic change and using a lot of, of cloud tools to manage that, how has that changed the threat landscape? Um, as I mentioned during that just 2021 report, we saw that a huge percent, percent of the um, assets that were part of these breaches, that were those three patterns I mentioned to you, ransomware, social engineering, and um, and uh, phishing, they were cloud assets. So we're seeing more and more attack at the uh, internet facing application level. The threat um, actors follow what the patterns are. So with, um, with pandemic, we saw a tremendous push in digital transformation inside companies of all sizes, small, medium, and large. And 
many CISOs and IT organizations, Joseph, came to the table to enable that as, as, as means of viability, as means of survivability and really enabling these transformation. But in some places, and as our mobility report highlights and our um, data breach report highlights, there were some um, corners that were cut. And it's really critical for, for companies to go back and look at their mobility end-to-end -end strategies with applications that they've enabled, with cloud instances that they've created, to really look at the security end-to-end -end and making sure that what they have digitized is end-to-end -end secure. Uh, you've mentioned ransomware is, is on your list of the top three. That's obviously not new. I, I think it may have even been in the top three the last couple of years. Oh, it hasn't been. Um, but it's really gotten such uh, an incredible focus from uh, the administration and from uh, top companies recently. Do you think a corner has been turned in terms of the awareness of the average company to their digital vulnerability? I think so, definitely. I think when it hit probably when we realized, and CISOs have known this, Joseph, for a long time, that um, what threat actors have always said they will do, and now they're, that we are seeing um, some of their <laughs> handiwork, which is really tackling large cloud providers, tackling or attacking critical infrastructure that, that effectively is not impacting just one or two companies, but in, in reality is impacting um, hundreds and thousands of companies. So a, a CISO of a small or mid-sized company who in the past say, who would come after me? I don't have much that the bad guys um, want and need now realizes that they, they could very well be a victim of attack because the spread and the scale and scope and in the way that, that some of these um, threat actors come after some of the large providers that they may be accidental victims along the way. Yeah, and the prime example of that is the Kaseya attack that happened over the 4th of July weekend, which started with one software provider and ended up impacting, I think, over 100 businesses. Are we going to see more and more of that? It, 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 that's another good example. For the longest time, technology providers made assumptions about certain things. Um, software delivery. If I had a trusted relationship with you as my software delivery entity, and we saw that with SolarWind, that was that was secure, right? Because you've been delivering this software to me over and over again. And what's happening with some of these attacks is that we're seeing those um, notional trusted digital relationships being being um, being challenged. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, we spoke a lot with our previous guest, Stephen Kaiken, about the uh, you know science fiction, uh, blow your mind kind of innovations that are going to come through cloud technology. Um, when we reach that, and as as more and more uh, computing moves to the cloud, are we going to be protecting it in the same way with increasingly complex passwords and you know multi-factor authentication and all all these standard things that we've been doing for the last decade? Um, I was actually watching what uh, the, your interview with Steve, and he talked about kind of 
two factors of innovation, one cloud and one 5G. And we think about that, uh, Joseph, at Verizon a lot because it's, it's the, we think about at Verizon is the secure network fabric that we bring to the table that allows customers to innovate at the edge of our network. And then on top of that, uh, you have, you know, a slew of technology capabilities that cloud providers or partner solution that come together that, that enable um, for our customers. We talked about manufacturing use case scenarios. Uh, at Verizon, we talk about our 5G and NEC edge solution. We're talking to many of our enterprise customers that want to take advantage of the low latency of, uh, of a 5G uh, network speed and reliability combined with a cloud model and in all kinds of technology um, innovation to really revamp manufacturing, revamp cars and acceleration um, in, in healthcare and such. So when you think about security in that, I always think about foundations and foundation, Joseph, will never change. You have to do foundational security right. You have network security. You gotta know what assets you're protecting. You gotta always patch it and keep it up to date. And you gotta know where your data is. The good news is that with technology combined with good practices, we can enable that. But you could say we're creating potentially unattended um, some complexity in some of these models we're creating because in the past, uh, or in the last 10 years, the shift to cloud has been about this concept of shared responsibility model where cloud will own or cloud providers will own infrastructure as a service and I as an enterprise will go on top of this. So now with the trifecta of network, cloud and application providers, you can make some of that more um, complicated. But at Verizon, our thinking around through our solutions, our innovation, and how we think about network um, as a secure fabric to um, create that layer of security for our customers. That's what we do ourselves. Joseph used cloud internally for our, um, for our network. And because more and more of of Verizon's scale and scope necessitates that we shift to um, software-enabled component of networking. That lends itself to cloud, but it's our own internal cloud, uh, but the principles of defense and control equally apply. You, you talked a little bit about 5G. How does 5G specifically complicate the security picture of, of um, computing in the cloud? It actually doesn't complicate, it simplifies it. Because with 5G security, there are, uh, whether it's um, user security, there are architectural principle with 5G that improves identity and device management and user management inside 5G network. It, 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 there are enhancement from 4G to 5G that simplifies that for our customers. You mentioned that Verizon uh, is obviously doing a lot of its business in the cloud. Can you talk a little bit about how your business has changed in the last few years, and especially during the pandemic, how you guys have been using cloud? 
Absolutely. So I talked about network and what we do for our customers. Um, the but the same principle applies to Verizon and how we run our own business. We're actually currently um, leveraged for different cloud. We have AWS, we use Google Cloud, um, and um, of course, Azure and, and Oracle, with the two primary, Joseph being AWS and Google. Um, we've put tremendous focus um, in since we went to cloud on doing cloud rights. So the principle that I talked about um, uh, apply for us, um, a centralized security model to really ensure that accounts that are created in the cloud um, are following um, some of the principles around data protection, access, automation around compliance, uh, giving freedom to the application developers to move their workload to the cloud, but um, also um, do it in a secure fashion. So that's um, good security hygiene is a huge part of our cloud security strategy because we feel that customers uh, trust their digital transformation sitting on our network. Uh, we enable the backend processing of some of those interaction and that is our internal cloud. So um, tremendous focus. Also part of that Joseph is learning and education. It's making sure that you have a workforce that's cloud savvy. We put tremendous focus on education and learning and bringing up both engineers and security professionals that are cloud um, knowledgeable certification is big, big with us. Um, it's an investment that we, we take very seriously. You've talked a lot about you know, the extent to which it's, it's, it's the security issues are not cloud or non-cloud, they are uh, sort of basic measures that um, security hasn't kept up with uh, the threat in, in a lot of companies. That's something the federal government is struggling with right now in terms of the vulnerability of both the government itself and uh, critical industries. Do you have thoughts about how we can turn that corner and finally get cyber hygiene to the point that it needs to be? What I do at Verizon, and I think um, I've only been here for a year, but um, but I would say at Verizon, uh, we say cyber strategy with the business strategy. And, and I think the biggest tool in the toolbox is not to think of cyber as a technology solution, as something that cyber people have to do, but as something that's embedded in every aspects of business. Um, so what we do, whether we have a mergers and acquisition, we're, we're divesting a company, or we very recently um, sold our media business, uh, or any part of growth into a new sector, for us embedded it in the cost of doing business is cyber. And the way to catch up for cyber not to be an afterthought is for cyber to be baked into the cost of doing business. So you will you will bid on a project knowing that you have to do security of cloud in that interaction, right? You would build into the mergers and acquisition costs, ensuring that the new company you're acquiring, that you do full compromise assessment before you integrate them into the company. So I really believe you could have policies and standards 
But if they're not backed by a business strategy and funding and an ongoing life cycle of embedding that into the business enablement, um, cyber would always be in a catch-up mode. And we don't want that. Nazir, I want to thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, I want to thank everyone who tuned in for doing that as well. I want to put in a quick plug to please subscribe to the Cybersecurity 202, my daily newsletter. comes out every weekday morning. And to check out what other interviews we have coming up, please uh, join us at WashingtonPostLive.com. Register there and find out more information, information about all of our upcoming programs. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.